0: Hello, and welcome to the Rothwell Center for Teaching and Learning Excellence podcast. Our mission here at RCTLE is to empower faculty members in their pursuits of professional growth through diverse offerings for the universal goal of student success. Each episode will offer insight into best teaching practices, new resources, and interesting people here at Embry Riddle worldwide. We hope you will find our show to be helpful and enlightening. Happy listening! Today we are joined by Sophia Berry, a Graduate Academic Advisor II for Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University Worldwide. Sophia has been a Graduate Academic Advisor with the Worldwide Online Campus since 2015. In addition to advising, she supports her team members through advanced trainings and workshops. Sophia participates in the Eagle Launchpad, a monthly live training session hosted by online advisors geared towards new, incoming students. She has also been involved in multiple committees, task forces, trainings, and presentations over the years. Sophia is lauded as one of the most trusted go-to advisors on the team and has a constant flow of student accolades who sing her praises from their first course until graduation. Without further ado, please enjoy Sophia Berry. So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you ended up with Ember Riddle Worldwide? Sure. So I am
1: half Italian and half American, and I started working overseas in education at Central Texas College. I was an advisor at the military base in Sigonella, and that's where I met my husband. And then we ended up moving to Florida. And so I applied when I got stateside for a job that I was you know, already familiar with being an advisor. And I got selected with the grad team, and I've been with Embry-Riddle ever since. This year, it'll be seven years that wow. I've been as an advisor with Embry-Riddle. So I feel... I feel very fortunate that they've kept me on, even though I'm halfway now across the world back in Italy. Um, but like I, I shared with you, I'll, I'll be coming back stateside. So I'm looking you know, forward to rejoining everyone there on the team in person. Yeah, that's, ex-
0: that's exciting. And seven years, that's a while. That's a, an accomplishment. Have you been in academic advising the whole time? Yes, that is correct. I
1: was an advisor one. And then in 2018, I became an advisor two, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah. So you are super familiar with academic advising and the ins and outs and kind of like the progression of their role within the university. So can you just give us a general overview of academic advising's role? Yeah, absolutely. So as an advisor, I
1: feel like my role is first and foremost, the student's advocate. So I you know help the student with degree planning, mapping, registration, I guide them through policies and procedures. I'm also a liaison to many other departments at the university. I feel like there's an endless list of, you know, departments I can connect them to, like financial aid, VA, registrar, the colleges, student affairs, CTLE, you know, when they have concerns with their instructors, those types of things. Given our broad reach of acting as a liaison too, I also try to learn more about each department so I can offer some general advice and counsel to students, especially, you know, if there's initial questions that I can. Can help answer, you know, versus just trying to redirect them each time. I try to filter some of those because um, a lot of times they're, they're basic things that I can answer. So I, I kind of find myself to being a jack of all trades, but I'm always the advocate of the student. So I always have the student's best interest at heart.
0: Yeah. And there's a few things that you said in there that I resonate with because I feel like I've always felt a kinship with the advisors because I feel like our positions are very similar, but on different spectrums. You guys are, you said advocate, you're definitely the advocate for the student. And I feel like here at RCTLE, we're definitely the advocate for the faculty member. And naturally we have to work together because the faculty and the students have to work together, but also the term liaison, we kind of both have to know, you know, even just like a broad knowledge of what all the other departments are doing because we have to redirect either the students or redirecting the faculty in all of these different areas. So it's always been really, really great to work with the advisors and have a good relationship with you guys because we're definitely um, working together to advocate for our different stakeholders, I guess you could call them online learning can sometimes be a little bit more difficult than learning in a face-to-face classroom um, and I'm sure you have been you know privy to that because you are interacting with students all day every day um, so what are some of the things that students struggle with in an online classroom environment so I think the different type of
1: learning modality um, versus the face-to-face is you know important to keep in mind especially for students who haven't been exposed to it and those who maybe have been out of education for quite some time. They come into it and it might be foreign to them. And a lot of it is done through the portal with minimal interaction. So I think one of the things that s- students might struggle with in the online environment is that lack of interaction engagement that they would traditionally have at a brick and mortar institution. I always tell students, you know, the great thing about online education is you can do it anywhere in the world. You have that flexibility. You can't beat that, especially when you're in a working uh, professional and, and, you know, you have limited amount of time to be able to dedicate to coursework. It's just not feasible to be able to attend in person. But on the other side, of course, is that lack of interaction, engagement. And I think there've been some strides uh, in recent past couple of years, whether it's pandemic related or something that we were naturally tending to that kind of gotten a push from this greater shift to remote learning and remote interaction, even in in work environments. So I've heard from students that they really enjoyed when faculty do post videos with feedback or they do have their office hours and they're able to schedule those calls and speak with them because I really think they want to have more of – the instructors' input in the courses, in the material, and be able to get that professional knowledge imparted to them. So I think that's one of the main things. Another one, which you probably hear about too, when you get things get filtered through from um, advisors, is you know, grading feedback and a, a tremendous focus on APA formatting and application. I, I think sometimes students they feel that some of the instructors are very nitpicky about APA, and while their you know intention, at least from me, I, I'm a graduate advisor. So I deal mainly with graduate students. They're like, yeah, you know, I'm going for my graduate program, but I'm not trying to go into academia and, you know, write journal articles. Why is there such a big focus on it? They, you know, they're just not as familiar with it And, they tend to struggle and and understanding always the the purpose behind it and why sometimes faculty members might focus so much on it. So that's another area I think that can be a struggle, especially again, for somebody who's been outside of education and is coming back. And the last one that I want to touch upon is group work. There have been quite a number, I feel like in the past few days too, that I've heard about from students. And, you know, I was a graduate student at Embry-Riddle too, and I did the project management program, and there was a lot of group work. And I can say, even from my experience, group work can be challenging, you know, when you don't have some students who participate fully or pull their weight or are timely and, you know, you're you're trying to already balance what you have going on with graduate coursework and a hectic schedule and then you know throw in your group members it, it can be a little bit chaotic and stressful but you know on the flip side when you have a really awesome group it makes it a worthwhile experience so you know there are some pros and cons there i guess it depends really on who you end up getting in your team which you know none of us have control over not the university you know not the students but i know it can give students more anxiety when it comes to their grades and academic performance. So I think those would be some of the areas that I feel I get mostly when students have to discuss struggles with an online class environment.
0: Yeah, definitely. And you bring up a lot of great points. It's important for us to realize that our student population isn't necessarily like a traditional first time in college population. So, you know, a lot of our students might not be familiar with even the LMS and familiar with the different ways that they can be using Canvas or just, you know, they're not really familiar with online education at all. So it's really important for faculty members to be intentional with the ways that they're engaging with their students, making sure they're being as present as possible in the classroom for those students who, I mean, for all of their students, but definitely for the students who might be struggling. And group work, group work definitely is a pain point for students and it's a pain point for faculty members sometimes too, but definitely encouraging our faculty members to, again, setting the group work expectations, being very explicit about what they're expecting from their students, what each member of the group, what role that they might play. So yes, a lot of really, really great points. Now, Now, RCTLE, all of our professional development is focusing on the five C's, their connection, consistency, content, community, and compassion. And these are ways that instructors can improve and promote student engagement in the online classroom. And every quarter we have been picking a new C to kind of focus on. In this quarter, we are really focusing in on compassion which I think is really, really important in online education in general, but definitely important here at Embry-Riddle Worldwide, where our students aren't necessarily traditional students. Like I said, they're all coming from different backgrounds. They all have different things on their plate, you know, full-time working professionals. They're in the military. They're not necessarily like 19-year-olds that don't have a lot of responsibilities. So it's important for us to kind of approach these students in these situations with compassion, because they do have a lot on their place. So from your perspective, what are some actionable ways that faculty contribute to a positive student experience?
1: I mean, there's so many ways that faculty can do that. So I'm just going to take a stab at a few of them because I'm sure the list could be infinite. <laughs> uh, but I, I think engagement is a key portion of that. Um, using and incorporating different mediums and options for students to be able to communicate. I've gotten great feedback from certain faculty members who have provided a variety of ways. And And kept it open, too, because there are those students who, you know, will want to go on the course and just do their discussion board the traditional way, do everything the traditional way, and that's it. But then you have those others who are really craving for more, uh, and I think being able to afford different opportunities, because, you know, keeping in mind, too, that the time – allotments that even instructors have towards their courses you know you can't expect them to have an an infinite list of you know tasks to be able to complete but you know giving some options there so for those who do want that you know flexibility portion of course but also the engagement to be able to do that i think personalized feedback is huge Um, i can't tell you when i get things from students that will say I just think my instructor copied and pasted because it looks all the same for everybody else. That is a huge turnoff. Personalized feedback is is very key. I think to APA resources need maybe be more pronounced. I don't know if faculty members can, uh, you know, make it an intent to post announcements that are related to that. And then you know the first couple of weeks when you see somebody who's coming in and struggling with it and has you know maybe no clue, not penalize them as harshly and gradually maybe up that difficulty as they're going through the class, but trying to really offer them that meaningful guidance and giving them the benefit of the doubt of there's somebody who's coming in that may not be exposed as much to it. You know, different undergraduate backgrounds may have led them to do MLA or Chicago and not APA. So I, I think coming in with that sense of understanding, at least in the couple of weeks, first couple of weeks and trying to offer more of that guidance, especially if that's going to be a point where, you know, the instructor tries to provide, you know, a bunch of feedback in that specific area. So, you know, I, I think those are a few of the ways. The only other one that I can think of that I've been telling my students a lot about from their end, because I think student and instructors can work on this, is when it does come to group environments, I think having a charter or a set of expectations that all members have to agree upon, and even the instructor, like from the beginning of that group assignment can be very beneficial. Uh, So that way you don't have, you know, any lingering doubts of, you know, where am I supposed to submit this? Or how am I supposed to do this? Or when should my instructor even get involved if we are running into those issues? I think that can help make the process of being engaged in groups to be more seamless. So, Those are, I guess, a few of the ways that I can see the faculty, but I I really think the personalized engagement um, is key.
0: Yeah, definitely. And we obviously always encourage faculty members to offer that personalized feedback because, you know, it is easy to get into, especially when you have a huge course load and they're all huge papers or whatever, it's easy to kind of get into a flow of using that copy-paste feedback and just thinking that the students aren't going to notice, but they do talk to each other. And um, they do compare notes, but it's important. It's important because we don't see them face-to-face. We don't get to have uh, those one-on-one conversations with them as often as you might in a face-to-face environment. So it is really important to maximize that opportunity you have in the gradebook to give them that really detailed, personalized feedback, especially because Canvas is such a great platform and offers so many tools um, to do that really easily, whether that be through the doc viewer annotations or the assignment comments or the audio or the video feedback. So we're tr- they're trying to make it as easy as possible for the instructors to do that. And we definitely encourage the faculty to do that as well. Um, I agree with the, what you said about the APA resources, making those resources more explicit from day one. Here's where you can go to get the help that you need, whether it's the APA manual or it's a reference to Vector because the Vector is really, really helpful. I liked what you said about the gradual release of the APA, focusing on a couple of things, maybe at the beginning and increasing the difficulty as you go on because I totally agree. When I was doing my undergraduate work, it was all MLA and I felt like an expert in MLA. And then I got to grad school and I was like, I don't even know what APA is. So it's a learning curve for sure. And it's difficult, especially when you have so much other stuff in your plate. So definitely agree with everything that you said. We work really closely with advising to kind of troubleshoot and make sure students are having the best possible experience. So how can faculty Faculty members work with advising to help and assist their students.
1: I mean, it, it's great when you have that collaboration among different teams. And one of the things I just want to say right off the bat, from the time when I first started to now, there is so much more engagement between faculty and advisors. And I feel like it grows each year, that faculty early alert that we receive, or even faculty members reaching out directly to the advisor. Sometimes I've seen that versus going through the faculty early alert. Regardless, you know, there are ways that they have reached out and shared, you know, their concerns and what's going on in the course. I had a great experience the other week with uh, a faculty member. We were talking about a student who had consistently been struggling. And I had a video call with this faculty member and was able to get more insight into what was going on in my student situation because I only get a portion of it and, you know, they have another portion. So I feel like, you know, you're trying to piece things together. So I think continuing to build upon this relationship that we've constructed over the past several years and and even more so as advisors transition into the new organizational structure of us being divided by colleges versus alpha sections, I, I think those ties and those bonds can become stronger. Uh, you know, with that opportunity. Even though, you know, not every student situation is going to have, you know, a favorable outcome when we do engage, but at least we can say at that point that we've really exhausted every measure to be able to promote student success. So I I think that's very valuable. Another item that I, I think Faculty, and this might be more so, again, when we get into that reorg structure where we're aligned by colleges, is having more insight into the program's coursework, what students are going to expect, maybe some common areas that students have struggled with. Uh, in particular classes, maybe there's some advice then that advisors can provide on the front end to adjust expectations. Because I know as an advisor, I'm always trying to figure out which classes are harder, which classes are more moderate in workload, And, and trying to help students navigate that. Because I realize, you know, during the summertime, it'd be really hard to take, you know, a heavy research course. And if I've set them up in that class, they may not do as well. Or they may get burnt out and decide not to do anything for the fall. So I'm always trying to find a way to help Help students balance their schedule, and having more of that insight would be, you know, very beneficial. The course syllabi resources that we have now that we didn't have before, that has been a huge plus very beneficial. If we can keep going into maybe getting more personalized information from the colleges on, you know, in particular programs, you know, when students should take things, if there's a particular order, even though there's not prerequisites, you know, that they would advise that can help them too with setting themselves up more for success versus, you know, just us basing it off of, okay, the schedule says this is available, there's no prereq, they can do this. Just having more of that insight going into it would be, I think, very helpful and advantageous.
0: The first thing you mentioned about faculty reaching out directly, I mean, I'm encouraged to hear that you appreciate that sort of communication. I wanted to touch on in the gradebook when you select a student's name and then that right-hand toolbar pops out and it says contact advisor, and there is a form that they can fill out. I'm constantly encouraging faculty members to use that. How does that form work? Are you guys notified directly when a faculty member fills that out? So if it is the form that's the early faculty
1: alert or, or something, I don't know if that's the exact title, but more or less something mm-hmm. to that effect, we yeah. end up getting an email to our WW advise box, and then that gets divided out to the, you know, gets sent out to the specific advisor. So we get just a, a snapshot and then the, the comments that the instructor is placed on there. And from there, um, you know, we, we typically take action in trying to connect with the student or if there's things that we're seeking clarification on, I've. Reached out at times even to the faculty member if there was something placed in there that I wasn't quite sure of. And I usually follow up with the faculty member as well because, like, there's sometimes where I will have an inactivity an notice and then also get a faculty alert. So I've already contacted the student that day. And so I'll just follow up with the faculty member and let them know, yes, I've, I've tried to contact, you know, John Smith um, and, you know, I've left a message or I've gotten in touch with them. So it, it usually prompts these types of conversations, but that's where it comes. We'll,
0: we'll get the email notification of it. Okay, and then you're prompted to reach out. So what are some reasons that you would encourage faculty members to use that form? Inactivity
1: is usually one where I've seen it. Even though we do get the inactivity notices, you know, it, it, it's helpful to you to understand where the student might be in the course. Because the inactivity notice, it just tells if a, if a student hasn't logged on in eight days. There's sometimes I reach out to students and they've been in touch with a faculty member. They had something coming up, like maybe a military exercise. And so they had everything coordinated and I'm reaching out and everything's already good to go. So so like it doesn't tell me much of that. But in instances where it is something that, you know, is concerning because they've really fallen behind. Um, you know, it, it helps to emphasize that and also kind of give me more ammo as the advisor of going into that conversation of what I really need to. Touch upon and focus upon, which again, that inactivity notice doesn't tell me anything like that. It just says this person hasn't logged on in eight days. So it's pretty vague. So I think having that insight into it, it also helps me understand too, you know, if a student might be struggling in a course, if there's other resources that I can provide. I mean, I usually feel like the faculty alert has been mainly for students who haven't been participating or have been falling behind. But, you know, if I, again, if I have more of that insight, then I can look at what options that I can discuss with a student, whether we need to talk about a, a link drop a drop a withdrawal, you know, usually those types of scenarios, or if there's something else that I can provide them to help them be successful. Just depends, but I get more info. So definitely love them.
0: (laughs) Yes, more info is better. Okay, so just to kind of wrap things up, uh, our last question is, how is our student demographic changing? And what do those changes mean for our faculty members? So
1: I think this question would have been different on the undergraduate end than the graduate. I think they have been experiencing more changes in their demographics and in their population than perhaps maybe graduate. So uh, in what I was, you know, kind of looking at and because one of the great things that we have now is the dashboard for advising. So we can keep better tabs on how our student population is, quote unquote, changing. Uh, you can see it divided up into, okay, who's military-affiliated, which ones are civilians, what are their ages, and like the breakout of that. It's a really neat tool that I know Matt Falk worked on um, along with others, and that's been an awesome tool. So one thing that I can say for graduate is I still see a lot of working professionals who are that make up the population on the graduate side. But I have seen some younger ones coming in too, like they'll be fresh off of their undergraduate, just starting their first job and they've decided to go for their master's. So I am seeing more of an under 30 population for the graduate program. It might be for undergraduate that, you know, they are first time in college students because we did have a, a dedicated first time in college student advisor, which when I started seven years ago, wasn't there for the undergraduate. I think that came about maybe three or four years ago Um, because you do have more of this shift towards online learning at the undergraduate level. For the graduate side too, I've also seen it move, I I feel, in a bit away from military. I, I feel like there's a lot of working professionals, but on the civilian side. And I actually looked at my dashboard and I was like, okay, let's see how many, you know, do I have of active duty or or veteran status? So half of my graduate student population is either like military affiliated, meaning, you know, active duty, select reserve or uh, veteran status. Whereas when I looked for undergraduate, it was two thirds. So there's uh, a, a noticeable difference between undergraduate and graduate. And it can be for many reasons. Um, I think active duty, makes up more of the undergraduate. I think it's like 50% active duty. And that might be because tuition assistance covers the funding there 100%, whereas the graduate level, it you know covers maybe a little bit more than a third of the tuition. So that could be a, a big difference since we, I have a fifth basically, that are active duty. So, I I think some of the changes, too, for at least graduate level might be involved more with um, non-military, but, you know, again, some of these that are just entering the workforce that have, you know, finished their undergraduate program. So, I, I I think too, if that is the case, and this, you know, regardless, I think what happened over the next few years is that, you know, your group, the people that are coming in are ones that have had experience with different types of technology. So I think trying to engage with them in different mediums of communication. I know in advising, we've been doing so. I mean, we, we've launched the virtual appointments. Now, we're you know, the texting capabilities that we're going to be having with the CRM. So, so many different ways of trying to now engage with them using the technology and different means of communication. I think that's what faculty members have to continue to evolve and look at. Um, And then, of course, if you do have these younger professionals coming in, I think mentorship is going to be a big thing as well. You know, they may not be as established in their career, and they may be looking for more of that direction. And a lot of times, too, people who come for their graduate program, there's, you I've had several that I've looked at changing career fields and I think with you know the what happened with the aviation industry over these past couple of years now it's obviously it's ramping up it's doing fine but back in 2020 when things were looking pretty sour lots of people were looking okay what else am I going to do what's going to be my plan b and I think faculty members with their wealth of industry experience can help mentor coach you know students through these types of scenarios so these are things too that I know it happened a couple of years ago but you know it's there's bound to be another one. There always tends to be. So I think helping students more so in in these areas if they are looking for these changes. So yeah, these are just some of the things that come to mind when kind of thinking of demographics and where instructors might be more engaged.
0: I think that's great advice. You know, oftentimes instructors might not realize that their influence goes beyond the classroom um, or beyond the curriculum, but really there is that opportunity to mentor um, these students and help guide them in the ways that they should go to have flourishing careers. But I know that the different colleges have different mentorship programs getting started. So I think that that is really, really great advice. Is there anything else that you would like to share? Any last tidbits of wisdom or advice? personalization,
1: engagement, different forms of communication. I mean, those all really make the student experience worthwhile. They just have to feel that the instructor cares. And those are some of the ways that it comes across. So that compassion portion, you know, focus that you mentioned, that's, you know, a big part of that. And to remember too that, and and I remind myself this all the time, is that being remote, you can often overlook the human part of it because you're just going through a machine. But on the other end, there is another person and you don't know what that person's going through. There's been a lot of hard times over the past couple of years. So I feel like even more so than before I try to cut people's slack because you just never know what's going through um, on that person's side of it and you know what they're going through to try and be able to get an education. So I think Really having that, uh, you know, approach to it and not assuming that just because something may look some way that that's exactly how it is, because it's oftentimes not been that way. I feel like I've had a lot of surprises with students and things that I've learned about them and what they've been going through. So yeah, I I guess if there was anything else that I would add to it, it's just always remember you never know what somebody's going through and and try and be there to support them because they've come to a place to better themselves ultimately.
0: Yeah, I think that's the perfect way to leave it. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me, Sophia. Yeah, absolutely. It's been great. i love doing this, so appreciate it. That's all we have for today, and thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. If you have any questions or even suggestions for topics you'd like to hear in the future, feel free to leave a comment below or send an email to rctle at erau.edu.